What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Other half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. It's been about two weeks, my boy. I know we both itching to get back to it, but it feels good. Yes, sir. You're out of COVID protocols. Back to the grind, my guy. You feeling good? Feeling good, man. Taste of smell came back yesterday. I'm feeling better. No fever, no symptoms. So I'm good to go, bro. I feel so much better. Man, you got the full experience with COVID, but you came through pretty well. So not as good as the Dallas Mavericks last night, but it's like, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just happened to be wearing the shirt. I went to grab dinner. I forgot to change. Yep. But, you know, I can't really say anything. The Lakers can't do anything right. So, you know, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit later, but you ready to dive into these topics? So much, bro. All right. So. We're going to go over some of the Week 17 games that are, going to come up, that are going to come up in the NFL this upcoming weekend. We're mostly primarily focusing on just the games that are going to have huge implications in the wild card standings. So, I mean, granted, you know, we've got top teams like the Packers, the Chiefs, the Buccaneers, and a couple other teams that are really kind of setting themselves apart from the rest of the pack in their respective conferences. But for this weekend... um, we're going to focus on the games that are going to mean a lot for the five, six and seven seeds in the upcoming playoffs in the AFC and in the NFC conferences. So we're going to focus on a couple games. Like I mentioned, the first one being is going to be the Arizona Cardinals going up against the Dallas Cowboys. Both teams have been at the top of the NFC throughout most of the year, but the Cardinals have been faltering of late and the Cowboys are coming off probably one of the most vicious beatdowns that any team has given to another opponent. I mean, they scored 56 points last week against Washington. It was a one-sided affair, and it wasn't even close. So that'll definitely be a good game to go over. After that, we'll kick it to the AFC in a really good matchup between the Miami Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans. The Dolphins have just been on an absolute tear the last two months. They're on a seven-game winning streak, and they're going to take this seven-game win streak into Tennessee against the AFC South leaders in the Titans. Currently, the Titans are sitting at a 10-6 and record. They have the second seed in the AFC overall, so that'll definitely be a good game to go over. After that, we're going to talk a little bit about Kevin's team. We're going to talk about the Raiders going up against the Indianapolis Colts. So the Raiders, they've actually been on some decent games the last couple of weeks. They're currently sitting at an 8-7 and seven record, but they are traveling to Indianapolis to go up against one of the most resurgent teams in the AFC with the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are sitting at a 9-6 and six record. They currently have the fifth seed as far as, as far as the wild card positioning goes in the AFC. So I know Kevin will have a lot to say about that game in particular. And then to round it out, we've got the Denver Broncos going up against the Los Angeles Chargers. This is an absolutely pivotal AFC West matchup between both teams. Both teams are looking to find a way into a wild card position with the last two weeks of the season upcoming. Uh, the Broncos have had an up and down season to say the least. They are currently sitting at a seven and eight record, despite having one of the better defenses in the NFL. And then the Chargers. This is the game where they need to get it after they had probably one of their worst performances last week, losing to the Houston Texans where they gave up over 40 points on the road, which was probably one of the more shocking results that we saw from last week's games. But 
that'll round out the NFL games that we have for the Week 17 slate. And then the one NBA topic that we'll discuss will be the Los Angeles Lakers continuing to slide. They've been losing the majority of their games the last week and a half or so. And in a game in particular, just a couple days ago, uh, had a pretty tough loss to the Memphis Grizzlies where LeBron James scored 37 points, not down eight three-pointers in that game, but allowed John Morant 41 points. Cannot have that in any way, shape, or form. So we'll talk about just the struggles that the Lakers continue to face as a team moving forward. And we'll talk about just what are some ways that they can recover from just this mediocre start, to say the least. So that'll pretty much be the agenda that we have for you guys. So I know it's going to be a fun episode. I know that we haven't had an episode in the last two weeks. I guess part of that was, you know, you know, Kevin was out with COVID. And it was just honestly, it was just nice for me to just take a little bit of a break. But we are back to it. And I couldn't be happier about that. So with that said, let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into these NFL games. The first one being the Arizona Cardinals and the Dallas Cowboys. So, like I said at the beginning, this is probably one of the bigger matchups of Week 17 with the Cardinals going up against the Cowboys. The Cardinals had a really tough loss to the Indianapolis Colts at home last week. I know Kevin's very happy about that. Uh, Arizona has really struggled the last month and a half or so. They have really struggled to find consistency on both sides of the football. And it's led to some losses the last month and a half or so. As far as the Cowboys go, and the Cowboys are positioning themselves very well in the NFC. They are currently sitting at 11 and four. They've already guaranteed a playoff spot and they are looking to improve their playoff positioning in the NFC as a whole with this matchup against the Cardinals this weekend. And they're coming off probably one of the biggest beatdowns of the season against Washington last week. So, Kevin, to keep this one to you, this is a great matchup between the Cardinals and the Cowboys this weekend, but I'm going to focus on the Cardinals here. Just how pivotal of a game is this for the Cardinals to win in this matchup against the Cowboys? Now, obviously, the record indicates that they're a lot better than what they've shown and put on you know, film lately, but this is a must-win game for the Cardinals. They're on a three-game skid. They were undefeated at one point. Kyler Murray was in the MVP t- talks for a conversation. Uh, the chemistry with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler was questionable because, you know, both battled a lot of injuries. But James Conner and that signing looked to be very, very, very effective. And, I mean, you you can just chalk this up to a lot of injuries as well on the Cardinals side. I mean, J.J. went down, obviously, early on. D-Hop's out for the foreseeable future unless they make a miraculous run to the Super Bowl, in which they said that might not even still um, be possible for him to return. James Conner's been out last, uh, this week, might be even last Excuse me. He was out last week, might even be out this week, but it's just not looking good on the Cardinal front. Like Kyle said, they've been struggling in pretty much every facet of every phase. They missed field goals. They missed extra points against us. Um, Obviously, their offense just does not look to be moving as well as it used to with DeAndre Hopkins on the field. And then their defense, they show flashes to where they can be a, a, a potential top 10 defense. Um, they have a lot of uh, fast and swarming linebackers. Their secondary is young and developing, but overall they do have a very well put together team. Um, they're just not executing. And I believe that if they lose this game, uh, the, the, the NFC is so tight. I'm not going to say that they're going to miss the playoffs, but they're going to definitely be a first round exit. They might even fall 
they've already fallen into a wild card seat, actually, now that they've lost three in a row and the Rams won last week. So I'm just going to say, you know, they might fall down to the final seed of the wild card and they might end up getting completely exposed and eliminated within the first round. And it, it just, it doesn't look good at all. Kyler looks off. The offensive line looks like they're, they're not able to block for him consistently. And I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury is able to, 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 to outcoach a lot of these other coaches that are scheming to kind of contain Kyler. So it sucks that everything kind of falters on the shoulders of that man with his mobility and that arm. But I think that they've been getting exposed the last couple of weeks, and it's showing. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of surprising that you're looking at the Cardinals. I mean, Kevin, I mean, throughout most of the year, they were our number one team as far as our power rankings went through pretty much the month of November. I mean, there was a large stretch where they were undefeated. But this month of December has just been absolutely awful for this team. I mean, just looking at the last couple weeks for this team, they've lost three straight games. And probably the biggest loss, surprisingly, was to the Detroit Lions, who is probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. And they got smacked by Detroit. I remember Arizona lost that game 30-12. to now, granted, the, the loss that they had last week against the Colts, it was more competitive. But with the amount of injuries that Indianapolis was dealing with going into that game, specifically on their offensive line, that was a must-win game for Arizona. And it was really quite surprising that offensively, they were only able to put up 16 points against a defense that didn't even have Darius Leonard as far as the Colts' defense goes. So that was a game that they needed to get, and it really kind of highlights the struggles that this team has been going through as a unit. It's like you said, Kyler Murray has been off. He's been very turnover-prone the last couple of weeks. And defensively, it's definitely showing just because this team is not as potent defensively as it was earlier in the year, and they have been giving up points consistently in this losing streak. They gave up 30 points to the Rams in the second week of December. Then they gave up 30 to Detroit. And granted, they were able to hold Indianapolis to 22 points last week. But when your offense is only scoring 15, 16 points against Indianapolis, it's not going to be enough. So when it looks, when I look at the Cardinals here, I got to see more consistency from Kyler Murray. Granted, I know they're dealing with injuries with D-Hop and James Conner, and that's a huge facet of their offense. But Kyler's really going to have to carry the load for this team offensively. And then defensively, they have got to get pressure on Dak Prescott, and they've got to be able to slow down that rushing attack that Dallas has with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. But with the way that Dak Prescott's been playing, specifically the way that he played last week against Washington, where he absolutely lit up that defense, it's going to be a very tall task for Arizona. I'm looking at this match for Arizona, and as far as I'm concerned, the odds are not in their favor, in my opinion. Now, I do think that they will be competitive against Dallas, but I just think that Dallas has the advantage. Dallas offensively is a nightmare to tackle defensively for Arizona, and I just don't think that Arizona is going to have the requisite pieces to go up against that Dallas defense. That Dallas defense can be had at times, but I just don't think that they're going to have the pieces to get by them in this matchup. So if I had to put a score out for this one, I do think it's going to be a relatively good game as far as scoring is concerned. I'm going to say that Dallas wins this one by the score of, let's say, 30 to 24. And I'm kind of being a little bit favorable to Arizona in this one. 
just because they've been on a three-game skid and they got to show me something in this one. But there's a very good chance that Dallas can win this game by two possessions if Arizona turns the ball over in a consistent fashion against that Dallas defense. But I'm going to say 30-24, to 24, Dallas gets the win, and it really does exacerbate just the issues that Arizona has had a hole the last month or so. It's definitely going to be an interesting game. Um, Kyler's got to come ready to go. Um, the offensive line has got to play a lot better. Dallas's defense is swarming. Trayvon Diggs, Micah Parsons, both of them competing for Defensive Player of the Year. One of them seems like a shoe in for Rookie Defensive Player of the Year, okay. and obviously Micah Parsons. But I, I'm going to agree with you completely, man. I think Dallas is trending in the right direction. They are, of, of course, they've clinched a playoff spot, but they have not clinched a division nor have they clinched a top seed in terms of the one seed. So they have no reason to rest their players unless it's an absolute blowout. So I think this will be a full force, fully loaded Dallas offense and defense going at a battered and weakened Arizona team. Um, and let's not forget, man, like I had mentioned against the Colts, they had missed two field goals and an extra point. So Matt Prater, the Fort Myers legend, looks to be having a, a late game skid at the worst time. And that's going to affect whether or not Cliff Kingsbury is going to have faith in his kicker for those, you know, field goal moments going forward on fourth down, deciding to go for three or, or deciding to go for six rather than three. So um, I think that his inconsistencies and his struggles are going to be a big, be a big thing in terms of making those late game calls and making those decisions. Again, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought with word, but you know what I mean. When your kicker is having a slump at this point in the year, yeah. that changes play calling completely. It, instead of three down territory, it almost becomes four down territory everywhere. Yeah, I remember you were bringing up a point about if the slide really continues for Arizona, that they could slide back into like the last seed as far as the wild card position goes. I don't really see that happening here because even though that they have struggled the last month or so, I mean, they're sitting at 10 and 5, and then the next closest team as far as like the wild card spots go is San Francisco at 8 and 7 and the Eagles at 8 and 7. True. So, I mean, the Cardinals would have to lose out for the rest of you know, for this week and then next week. And then the Eagles and the 49ers would have to win both of their games. Now, if that were to happen, that would be absolutely wild. But they're not it's missing. Possible. It's, it's possible. It's possible. Possible, yes. I just don't see the Cardinals losing uh, both games to end the year. If it happens, I, I, Cliff Kingsbury got a job? Yeah, because he still made the playoffs. No, I like, mean, if they lose out and, like, they lose out in terms of, like, they don't get in. Because San Francisco beat Arizona twice, so San Fran would get that spot. Well, I mean, they still wouldn't make the playoffs. I mean, if they didn't make the playoffs, I think it would be a little bit different. I still think that's what I'm saying. Fire. If they don't, if they don't make the playoffs, you think Cliff has a job to end the year on a five-game losing streak? Well, well they they already cl- they already clinched a wild card spot. Did they? Yeah. They already clinched oh, I didn't know that. Spot. Okay, okay, okay. I did not yeah. know that. So then I take I retract what I said. Yeah, I mean. The Rams, Clinch, the Rams, uh, I'm looking at the, the rest of their, look at these divisions right now. So the Rams are probably going to win the division. If the Cardinals lose this weekend, the Rams got it. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, the way that I see it, it's going to be the Cardinals, the Eagles, and probably the 49ers that are going to be the wild card spots unless... Unless somebody like the Vikings or the Falcons would get in, I think it's highly unlikely at this point. But no, the, I mean the Cardinals are in the playoffs. I think if they drop down to the last seed, as far as the wild card spots goes, 
then it gets a little bit dicey. And then I could definitely see a first round exit if that were the case. But yeah, I mean, Chris Kingsbury is still going to have a job. Now, it would be very disappointing if they had a first round exit. There's no doubt about it, especially with the way that the team started for what the first two and a half months of the season. Yeah, they were seven and zero or eight and zero. But you know, injuries can definitely derail it, bro. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins 100%. and James Conner. I mean, they're huge pieces for that team offensively. And you know, granted, I mean, Kyler was at the top of the MVP discussion throughout most of the year, but the injuries on that side of the ball hurt them. I mean, he was out for. A couple of weeks with a that month. ankle injury. Yeah, so, you know, it's really just kind of injuries. Injuries really kind of derailed the, the Cardinals in really the last third of the season. But as far as I'm concerned, they're still a good football team. It's just the injuries have really kind of hurt them. They just got to find a way to play together, man. Like I said, they're hitting a slump at the worst time. And you know damn well, teams that squeak in like this never really have a good postseason run. They never really make good strides and they look like they're kind of struggling to find themselves in a lot of the games, if not the one game they get to play in. So it's going to be interesting for this game, but I know that we have a couple of other ones to get into. I don't want to drown this one down. Yeah. So with that said, we are going to transition to our next game, which we're going to talk about the Raiders and the Colts game. I know Kevin, you've been kind of gearing up for this one. So this is, this will definitely be a fun topic of discussion for you. So, the Las Vegas Raiders are going up against the Indianapolis Colts this weekend in week 17. Uh, to give you guys an update on where both teams stands currently, we've got the Raiders sitting at an 8-7 and seven record. The Raiders have had an up-and-down season, to say the least, with their on-field performances and their off-field performances as well. Uh, they had a huge win against the Denver Broncos last week at home, winning by the score of 17-13. Does keep their playoff hopes alive at this current moment in time. And then to kick it over to the Indianapolis Colts, they're currently sitting at a 9-6 and six record. They've had some pretty big wins the last couple of weeks with wins against the New England Patriots and then last week against the Arizona Cardinals. So this is a big game for both teams. It has huge wildcard implications in the AFC. So Kevin, to kick this one to you, in a game that has huge ramifications in the AFC wildcard with the Raiders going up against the Colts, who do you think comes out on top and why? So I'm, I'm going to sound biased. I'm going to say us um, and us being the Colts. I think that we are trending in the right direction as, as a unit. Uh, special teams is clicking. Defense is swarming together. The offense showed even without the offensive line. We have enough depth and enough camaraderie as a team, as a unit, to beat anybody. Granted, Arizona kind of shot themselves in the foot last week, but we were able to capitalize, put some points on the board. Carson Wentz had one of his best games of the season. Obviously, his status is still in question. Uh, with the new CDC and NFL protocols, it looks like he will become available after five days of testing positive to play. But obviously, if he has like a fever and some big symptoms, I would assume they're not going to put a sick and you know down and battered Carson Wentz as opposed to a healthy Sam Ellinger who has been getting first-team reps this week in practice. So quarterback-wise, we're kind of like in limbo right now, but everybody else is back. Quinn Nelson's back, Kari Willis, Darius Leonard. Um, I think Eric Fisher is going to be the only one that doesn't play, but again, our offensive line has such depth, as it was shown last week, that I think we will be okay. Eric Fisher, if I had to put it bluntly, is probably the weakest link on that offensive line, which is boating to show that was a waste of $9 million. That's another conversation for another day. Getting back on track, the Colts should win this game solely because of the name Jonathan Taylor. The 
MVP candidate has had a phenomenal season, obviously nine or 10 straight games with a hundred yards rushing um, over 1600 total yards this year in terms of, excuse me, over 1600 yards rushing this year, 17 touchdowns. He's having a phenomenal MVP kind of caliber season. We run the football, we win the game. Obviously if Sam is in the game and not Carson, you definitely don't put a rookie quarterback in there and drop him back, throw it 30, 35 times. Vegas is trying to find themselves. Vegas is a weak team that needs to beat a team like us to kind of catapult themselves into the playoff discussion. Um, it would suck for us to fall when we just beat two teams that I did not expect us to beat in the manner that we did. So I believe we should win this game by about seven points. And I'm only saying seven and not 10 because I feel like this game can end up being close. I mean, for God's sakes, they held um, Denver to 14 points, but Denver was without Teddy Bridgewater. So it seems like a similar thing. Starting quarterbacks, they're playing back-to-back. Back-to-back weeks, they're playing backup QBs. So it could be one of those situations where they stack the box to make Sam beat them. So I don't know what Frank's going to have dialed up. But getting Darius Leonard back, getting Carr Willis back is going to be huge. So I think that this defense is going to be relied on heavily. Rushing the quarterback, getting to Derek is going to be big. And uh, we're going to have to find a way to cap Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro has been having one hell of a year. I believe he is, I think, a couple receptions shy of 100 receptions for the season. I think the last wide receiver to do that was like Jerry Rice or Tim Brown or something like that back in the day. So it probably was Tim Brown, actually. So the point I'm trying to make is I think we win this game, but I think that Carson playing and Carson not is going to be pivotal. So we will see what happens. But I I like the Colts by seven here. Yeah, this is a game where I'm looking at the matchup. I mean, it's absolutely pivotal for both teams, but I got to favor the Colts here. And it's simply just because when I look at the Raiders, the last four games, they have scored 15, 9, 14, and 17 points in those respective games in each of them. That's not going to get it done. And you're going up against a team in the Indianapolis Colts that seem to be surging at the best possible time. They had a great win over the New England Patriots just a couple weeks ago. And then they capped it off last week with another impressive win against one of the best teams in the NFC in the Arizona Cardinals. So I'm favoring Indianapolis to win this one. And I'm picking them to actually win by a substantial margin, even though that they do have that Carson Wentz question as far as his availability goes going into this game. This game plan for Indianapolis should be very simple. Give Jonathan Taylor the ball 30 times in this game. Let him run for 150 to 200 yards in this game. This is a game that, as far as I'm concerned, this game plan is is pretty much open and shut. Because if they're able to own the line of scrimmage as far as the Colts offensive line goes, Jonathan Taylor is going to have a huge day. And I don't know if the Raiders defense necessarily has the pieces to be able to stop him on a consistent basis. They may slow him down a couple plays here and there. But... Jonathan Taylor has shown consistently throughout the entirety of the season that when given good opportunities to run the football, he has made the most of those opportunities and he has burned teams as far as opposing defenses go on a consistent basis. Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you. He's at the top of the MVP discussion with the season that he's had. The guy's been an absolute beast. I expect nothing else more in this game. This guy is probably going to get at least 100 to 150 yards rushing. And defensively, I think that they have the pieces to slow down that Raiders offense just because, I mean, Hunter Renfro has been a huge piece for that Raiders offense, but I don't know if he's going to be 
what he's been necessarily the last couple of weeks in this matchup against the Indianapolis defense. I, I think that Indianapolis as a whole, they are surging at a very good time. And I think it just continues this week. Now, granted, we'll see what happens as far as the quarterback availability, the quarterback availability goes, excuse me. But I think the Colts win this one by a relatively comfortable, comfortable margin. I'm going to say they win this one by about 10 points. So I'm going to say Indianapolis wins this one by the score of 27 to 17. I just don't really see a scenario where the Raiders really crack 20 points or more in this game just because offensively they have really struggled to get any sort of consistency the last month or so. And I think it continues in this game. I think Indianapolis forces some turnovers. And I think the Colts offense will be able to capitalize on that. And that'll give them a pretty comfortable win, winning by the score of 27 to 17. That's kind of how I see it in this week 17 matchup. Excited. Don't get me wrong. Anytime I get to see Colts football, especially the way we've been playing lately, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, It's just, like I said, I don't know if Sam is ready. You know how rookie quarterbacks do in moments like this. Um, History doesn't bode well for someone that hasn't been getting very many reps, if any at all this year. Um, In moments that he does come into the game, he looks very jittery, which is understandable. In games that he does come in, in terms of some blowout games, he has made some ill decisions, some poor throws, but again, without reps and consistency, it's going to happen. It's just unfortunate that it's coming at a time where we are fighting for our playoff hopes. So, again, I'm really hoping that Frank takes the pressure off of him so you literally just have to just just, just, just give him the ball. Give, him, give, give Jonathan Taylor the fucking ball. Don't make this kid overcomplicate the playbook. Don't give him some plays that he's going to have to try to force himself. He's going to die forward. He's going to fumble. He's, you know what I'm saying? He's not going to have pocket awareness. Don't give him any pressure like that. A three-yard slant, a play-action pass out of the gun. Keep it simple. There's no reason to overcomplicate it. That's the only reason. Again, my biggest concern with the Colts isn't our personnel. It is our play calling from our head coach. It has been good the last two weeks. I cannot complain. But now is not the time to go back to stupidity with a rookie behind under center. So, fingers crossed. You're a little bit concerned about this game still? Absolutely, bro. I'm concerned every week, man. I, I don't believe in guaranteed victories. Bro, we almost lost to the fucking Jags a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sitting here and I'm not saying shit. That's fair enough. I think you guys do win this game. Um, I got to ask you this, just a side question. Where do you think Jonathan Taylor is in the MVP discussion? I think that he's right behind Tom and Aaron. I think he's like tied for second, honestly, just because, um, you know, Aaron's having another MVP caliber year. Tom's really struggled in New Orleans. I think he took a step back because he played so poorly. Um, So I think Jonathan might be second, but Aaron Rodgers is on a whole nother tear doing it basically with nine toes. So got to give that man a whole lot of credit. Because I think Rodgers gets it again. Yeah, I think he's he's going to get it again too. I mean, the guy only has, I mean, the guy still has single digit interceptions and I don't even think he has like, I think he only has like, he might have like five or six. It's not even that much. I mean, he's been absolutely lighting it up. So I do think that Jonathan Taylor, the way that he's played this year has been nothing short of phenomenal, but I don't think it's gonna be enough for him to get that MVP because if Derrick Henry didn't get it rushing for damn near 2000 yards last season, I don't see Jonathan Taylor getting it. Unfortunately for him, but he's had a phenomenal year. That's not to discredit him in any way, shape, or form, but it's like if Derrick Henry didn't get it last year, damn near getting, what was it? He rushed for over 2,000 yards, correct? Uh, D- uh, Derrick, yeah, he had 2,000. Yeah. 
Aaron Rodgers I mean, has four picks this year. Four. It's absolutely crazy. Absolutely Nuts. crazy. But, you know, it, it, it's going to be fun to watch. I think Jonathan Taylor's going to have a good game against um, against Vegas. It's just whether or not that Frank decides to give him the ball. It's really kind of exactly. dependent on that. But with that said, we are going to transition into our third game, which is going to be the Miami Dolphins going up against the Tennessee Titans. Now, this is a game that is absolutely pivotal for the Miami Dolphins. They've been on a huge winning streak the last two months, winning seven games in a row. And they have found them, themselves in a spot where they are potentially vying for a wild card spot in the AFC. They're currently sitting at an eight and seven record, but they're definitely looking to improve it to get to possibly nine and seven. And then they kick it over to Tennessee. Tennessee is currently sitting at, I believe, a 10 and 10 and six, six, 10 and six record. Excuse me. I'm pretty Thank sure. And, no, um, 10, and, 10 and five, 10 and five. Cause we're, okay. we're going into the, the next game. My bad, my bad. So, with that said, you know, the, the Titans are looking at a very good chance to improve their record to 11 wins. Currently, I believe, if I remember this correctly, they, are, they have the second seed in the AFC at this current moment in time. And they're looking to maintain that moving forward against the Miami Dolphins this weekend. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, in a pivotal game for both teams with the Miami Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans, who do you think comes out on top and why? This is a tough one. I mean, first of all, shout out to my brother. He called it. A turnaround was bound to happen. He said he had faith in his defense. Um, my brother, Ethan, obviously has had faith in his team since the start of the year. He said that they were one of the better teams in the league when the season started. It just, you know, Tua had to get healthy. Tua had to get comfortable. The defense had to play like they did the year before. And all of these things are turning around. Tua is playing at a better caliber level. The offensive line and the run game are probably the weakest links of this team, but the defense has been phenomenal. Now, on the Tennessee side, you got A.J. Brown coming back and having probably his best game of the year and torching. Who did Tennessee even play last week? It didn't even matter. It was so the 49ers. Bad. Oh, my God. Like, A.J. Brown was just a man on a mission, a man amongst children, and there was no stopping him. Granted, the game ended up becoming a lot closer towards the end to where I believe, you know, Tennessee wins at the end of, the, at the end of regulation. But overall, no, it went to overtime. No, it didn't. Right? No, it didn't. Tennessee and, and, and 49ers didn't go to overtime last week? No. Could have no. swore I went to OT. But anyway, um, Tennessee pulls off the win, which is pivotal. But again, 17 points against a suspect San Francisco defense. 20. They um, 20. They scored 20. Uh, the Dolphins' defense has been doing everything in their power to be a stingy, pass rush heavy, and dominant defense. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, and their rookie from Miami, Jordan Phillips, have been playing great football. Tua Tungavailoa has not been turning the ball over. They've been doing everything on their power to move the ball, move the chains, take time and possession away from other teams. And, and, and that's how you win football games. I don't have faith in Tennessee's defense. I'm not saying that Tua's going to light them up for no 300 yards, but. I think that Tua has a breakout game, and I'm going to take Miami by three points. I, I think your bias is showing in this one, my guy. I, 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 it might be. I, I, it really might be, but there's no Derrick Henry there, man. No, it's not because of that. It's because you want Tennessee to lose so Indianapolis can kind of get closer in that race. I, trust me. I know you, bro. I know you. Yeah, listen, but I, listen, I got to give Miami respect. The seven-game winning streak has been absolutely phenomenal. 
Granted, they did beat the Saints last week, but the Saints had like freaking like 25 guys on their COVID list. I don't even think they had half their team ready for that game to begin with. So that was a game that Miami should have won from the jump. So when I look at this game as a whole, though, I'm going to favor the Titans in this one, but I think it's going to be a relatively close game. And Kevin, I I, I got to side with you on this one as far as Miami's defense goes. Their defense has really been the focal point for this seven-game winning streak. Now, the offense has done a very good job in scoring points and limiting turnovers. But when I look at some of these results, I mean, outside of the Jets game that happened two weeks ago, they've only given up three points to the Saints, nine points to the Giants, 10 points to the Panthers, and then 17 points against the Jets. And that's really kind of like within the last month or so. So the defense has definitely been playing very well. But I do think that Tennessee does present them a different challenge. I think if A.J. Brown had not been in this game going up against the Dolphins, I think this would be an entirely situation. I would probably side with the Dolphins in this one. But with the way that I saw A.J. Brown absolutely torch the 49ers secondary last week, I got to take that into account. Bro, Bro, it was was bad. He absolutely torched them single-handedly. And I do think that having him back on the field is going to provide a huge boost moving forward for Tennessee going into the playoffs. Now, granted, their their running game is still weak compared to what it was when Derrick Henry was on the field, but I do think that they will be able to get some decent run carries here and there against this Dolphins defense. Now, do I think they're going to gash them for 150 yards rushing? No, but I do think that they could get some running plays where they can get some first downs, they can extend some drives, and be able to possibly score some touchdowns, or kicking some field goals. Now, as far as the prediction goes, as far as the score goes, I do think the Titans win this one in a close one. Just with the way that both teams have been playing, I don't think it's going to be a really high-scoring game. I will give the Dolphins credit. I do think that they're going to be able to hold Tennessee to a relatively low point total. But I think the Titans win this one in a close one. I think it's going to be 20-17. to 17. I think this is going to be a game that's going to be really close. 20-17. to 17. It's going to be only a three-point win for the Titans in this one. Just because I got to respect the Dolphins' defense with the way they've been playing the last month and a half. But I do think that Ryan Tannehill is going to be able to do just enough to get past this Dolphins' defense and get Tennessee the win in a relatively close fashion. It's kind of indicative of Tennessee this year. They've won some games in really close fashion. And I think this is kind of another one of those examples where they get a close win. But it's going to be a huge win that's going to bump them to 11 wins on the season. I'm definitely curious just to see if Miami's defense can 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 hold on, man. Uh, we looked it over before, and that you know the the opponents that they beat at the beginning of the win streak, or should I say, throughout the win streak, haven't been really anybody spectacular offensively. So for them to go out there and face a very good, a very potent, and off uh, offensively driven team that is the Tennessee Titans, it's going to be the biggest test for them this season, at least up to this point. So. Definitely excited to see this game for a multitude of reasons. As Kyle stated, I'm a little biased. I need Tennessee to lose. I would like to see my brother's team continue this win streak. If we haven't already said it, they are the first team in NFL history to lose seven straight and then win seven straight. So that's history in and of itself. And I think that the exciting part about this is Tua is changing the narrative about himself as the season progresses progresses as the him not being the guy potentially being packaged for Deshaun Watson and all of these rumors. And now he's out there doing what he needs to do, leading Miami 
to a potential playoff berth with a battered, bruised, and horribly uh, managed offensive line, and then basically no running back. I mean, Kyle and I joked about this literally right before we hit the record button. They signed Duke Johnson right off the damn corner, and he was, he was their best running uh, attack all season. Out of all the running backs Miami's had on their roster all year, they signed Duke Johnson. He has the best game of the year for them. So I'm just saying I think that the energy around that Brian Flores has created, the culture that is there, they turned it around, the excitement. I really am hoping that Miami can pull it off. But if Tennessee won, it wouldn't be a surprise for me. Well, it just kind of goes to show that, uh, you know, Tennessee, even though that they have been weakened, by Derrick Henry's absence. They're finding ways to win these games. And that's huge. Especially for a team that's honestly lost their biggest playmaker across the board. And they basically and, played the whole season without Julio. The kids played like less than 10 games almost, I think. I know. Don't be disrespectful. Don't call him a kid. Guy's grown-ass man. I'm just saying. They traded for him, and they gave him everything he asked yeah, for. I and know. he can't even stay on the field. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Julio's been kind of been in and out of the lineup with injuries for really like what last, last two, couple three years yes i mean it's kind of been interesting to kind of see him take a back seat <clears throat> as far as the injuries goes but the guy is still a huge playmaker when he's on the Agreed. field you always have you always have to is respect he playing? i have no idea i don't know i, 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 I did think the injury so. report but um no, uh, no i mean i mean i i will be honest just to be 100 percent uh transparent i did pick tennessee just so i can kind of get at you a little bit about the whole Colts thing. Just That's because fine. it's just one of those things. It's like somehow, some way that the Titans are just going to hold that little bit of an advantage over Indianapolis, even though the Indianapolis kind of blew it in the second matchup against the Titans earlier in the year. But that's, that's not there here nor there. So Julio's on the COVID list as of the 27th. I don't know if he actually tested positive. I don't know if it was close contact or anything like that, but with the new rules, who knows what happens, but he tested positive. So, Oh no! Oh no! The dread of COVID. No, oh, I'm no. saying his avail his availability for the game is in question. Yeah, no. So I mean, we'll see. But still, I think it's going to be a very good game. It's going to be a competitive game. I think it's going to be a very uh, big defensive game. So position, positions are going to be key. And I think really kind of it's one of those things where both teams offensively have to limit their turnovers because one turnover can really, in my mind, change the entire complexion of the game. So. Agreed. Definitely going to have to keep an eye on that one. That'll definitely be a good matchup in Week 17. So with that said, we're going to transition into our last matchup of discussion for Week 17, and that is going to be the Denver Broncos going up against the Los Angeles Chargers. So to kind of dive into this game, I don't know what just happened. Like My ears just started ringing. I had a little bit of tinnitus thing kind of pop up. Uh, I don't know where that I hate when that weird. randomly happens. You're like, yeah, I, I started talking that I just I hear like this ringing in my ear. It was just like, oh, that threw me off for a second. Somebody but, talking shit behind your back. That's what that means. I guess that means that somebody was paying attention to, like, when I was talking shit about the Titans just, like, 30 seconds ago. But, you know. Oh, well. It happened. But to kind of dive into this matchup between the, the Broncos and the Los Angeles Chargers, this is a game where this is a must-win game for both teams. There's no other way of saying it. Denver is currently sitting at a 7-8 and eight record. They have to win this one to stay at pace for some sort of chance to get into the last spot of the AFC wildcard spots. And then the Chargers are sitting at 8-7, and seven, and they're coming off probably one of the most disgraceful performances that they've had the entire season, 
losing to the Houston Texans on the road and giving up 41 points in the process. It was an absolute ass whooping by Houston. Give Houston credit. They came to play that day. Oh, yeah. So the Chargers definitely need to get this one as well to stay at pace for a possible wild card spot as well. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, in a pivotal AFC matchup between the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Chargers, who do you think comes out on top and why? To me, it's literally a matchup of two people. It's Herbert versus freaking Locke. I got no faith in Drew Locke. He was given the keys to the kingdom last season. He played absolutely horrible. I have no faith in Drew Locke to go out there and get Denver a dub, no matter how good that defense is, no matter how good the rushing attack is of uh, of Williams and, and uh, Gordon. But I just I really, really think that Justin Herbert's going to look at that film from last week and he's going to say, I played like shit. Our playoff hopes are on the line. They're getting everybody back from COVID. This is going to be a game where I think we're going to see that, that Justin Herbert, they look like he can't miss, that's going to hit all of his receivers in stride. I think, I think L.A. wins this game by like maybe like 10, 14 points. It's, it's going to be a, a complete turnaround. Again, I'm not disrespecting Denver's defense to slow him down. I just don't have enough faith for the offense to keep that defense off the field too long. Because if that defense is consistently on it, they're only going to be able to stop Justin for just enough time before they get into a rhythm and they get tired. Yeah, this is a game where it's a must-win for both teams, but I got to pick the Chargers in this one. This is a must-win game for them, and I think this is going to be kind of like one of their biggest bounce-back games of the year because the way that I see it, they got disrespected last week by Houston, and I just thought that that performance last week by them, it was just disgraceful. There's no other way to say it. The Chargers were clearly the better team against Houston last week, and they dropped the ball. No other way about it. But this is a game, when I look at just the matchup on paper, it's a Chargers. It's a Chargers by a, a mile, as far as I'm concerned. Just because Justin Herbert is clearly the better quarterback in this matchup over Drew Locke. I'm with you 100%. I don't really have a lot of faith in Drew Locke. And in a game that they needed to win last week on the road against the Raiders, they came up short. I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, the Broncos scored 13 points. But their defense only gave up 17. You would think that if Denver's defense held the Raiders to 17 points of offense, that that would be enough to get them by. Nope. And Drew Locke didn't do anything to, to get the dub in any way, shape, or form. I know that Teddy Bridgewater left that game on a stretcher. I think he suffered a concussion. But, you know, the opportunity was there for Drew Locke to take advantage of it, and he fell short. And I don't think it's going to be any easier going up against the Chargers. The Chargers have a very good team when they want to play well. But I just don't see Drew Locke being able to carry this offense to the promised land in this one. I think their defense is going to keep it closer than I think what people are expecting. Just because I think Denver has one of the best defenses throughout the entire league. And I do think that their defense is not getting enough credit as they deserve. Because as far as points go, they don't really give up a lot of points. They're like one of the top defenses in the AFC as far as points allowed goes. But I just the Chargers have too much firepower to contend with. I think the Denver defense is going to break in this one. But I don't think they're going to give up a lot of points in the process. I just don't think the Denver's offense is going to be able to score that much as far as I'm concerned. So as far as the prediction goes, I see the Chargers winning this one by 10 points. I'm going to say the Chargers win this one by the score of 
I'm going to say 28 to 17. I just think this is a game where Justin does enough to get by that Denver defense. I think he's able to get somewhere around 250 to 300 yards passing. And I think on the other side of the ball, I think the Chargers defense is going to be able to force some turnovers against Denver's offense. And I think that's going to be the main difference in this game. I think that the Chargers are going to be able to exploit those turnovers by Denver. And I think they're, they're going to be able to make the most of it. So I got the Chargers winning this one. They would improve to nine and seven and it would improve their positioning in the AFC wild card spot, or at least it would give them a better chance to potentially get one going into the last week of the season when they get this win this weekend. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that they're going to get Eckler back and they're going to get Mike Williams back and a couple of other personnel that they were missing uh, last week with COVID and some injuries, of course, with some players that I, I would assume I'm missing, but a lot of teams are getting healthy at the right time. At least, you know, people are either have contracted the virus already or getting over it to a point where they're going to be eligible to play on Sunday, which is huge. It's been affecting teams and leagues all across the globe right now. So, I mean, to see that things are kind of getting somewhat better-ish, uh, we'll see what happens. But I do think that LA is going to mop the floor with them. And in large part, I think Drew's going to give them a few. So, curious to see if Justin can bounce back from an adverse loss last week. I mean, he, I'm I'm confident that he will. And, and to me, I mean, Justin in his second year, I think has performed pretty well. I oh, think yeah. he's, I, I thought last year in his rookie season he was phenomenal, and I think he's done more of the same. But there have been games this year where they've dropped some, and there have been games where he has underperformed. But there have been games where he's played phenomenal. I mean, I remember the, only in his second year, man. Yeah, I know. It's just up and down. It's just ain't no a little more slump. No, 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 no. no. He's, Definitely not, you know, gotta have a little, yeah, but it's just kind of like it's just up and down. So, the only thing moving moving forward is just a little bit more stability, but that'll come with time. I'm not worried about that. The kid kid is still young, but he's been a phenomenal quarterback in his first two seasons. I gotta give him credit for that. But, you know, I expect the Chargers to have a bounce back game against Denver. But that'll wrap it up with our week 17 matchups. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I just hope that our picks are somewhat close to what will take place because God only knows that our picks have been absolutely dog shit this year on a consistent basis. So we'll kind of see how it goes, but it should definitely be a fun weekend as far as week 17 goes in the NFL. And there are some other really good matchups. I believe the chiefs are playing the Bengals this weekend. So I know we didn't get a chance to talk about that one, but that'll definitely be a great game to watch. Uh, we just wanted to more focus on the NF- the NFC and the AFC wild card. Uh, teams that are going to be pivotal moving forward towards the last week of the season. There's some really big games that are going to have huge effects for those wild card spots in each conference. And that's why we focused on those games in particular. But with that said, we will transition into our last segment. Kevin, do you want to take this one since uh, we talk about my team here for a little bit? So the LA Lakers have been the word I'm looking for bad the last couple of weeks or so and to no fault of LeBron James um I will be the first to admit I cannot put this on him I cannot say that their poor performance has been his ineptitude to get it together to stay healthy whatever LBJ has been on a tear right but the team as a whole has underperformed significantly this season whether it's the poor performance and game management of Russell Westbrook the team's inability to play defense 
the rotations that Frank Vogel continues to throw out there, knowing that it's not working. I mean, there's a number of things that could be wrong in terms of uh, an outside looking in or a fan admiring from a distance. But to just put it bluntly, the Lakers are just playing like crap. And I mean, Kyle, my question to you is, what the hell's going on? Can they find a way to turn it around? And just because they're the eighth seed, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're playing at a playoff caliber level. Because God forbid, if the season were to end right now, they're a first round exit by a mile. It's really a combination of the fact that they're old and they can't play defense. Because when I look at these results in the last three weeks or so, you know, granted they've lost a majority of those games in that stretch. But the one big thing that I want to take away with is the defense. Throughout the majority of the games that they played the last three weeks, the only times that they've given up under 100 points in the last, let's say, three weeks. So from December 10th up until now. Defensively, they have held teams under 100 twice. Outside of that, they have been giving up over 100 points consistently. I mean, for God's sakes... You know, I know they lost the game to the Grizzlies the other day when they had a double-digit lead. You know, they gave up a, a 104 points in that game. John Morant had 41 points. But the game that really kind of struck me was the fact that they, they beat the Houston Rockets just a couple days ago. The Lakers scored 132 points, but they gave up 123 points to the Houston Rockets. It's unacceptable. Even the game before that, they gave up 122 to the Brooklyn Nets. This is not winning basketball. And the main factor at play here is age. Age is definitely a huge point to why this team is struggling as a whole. And when I look at the age factor, LeBron's playing at an all-star level once again. But it's just, you could just tell defensively that they just don't have the intensity that they should. And I think it's because they're just, Lack, they're kind of complacent as a defensive unit. And I just don't think that they have really the the drive to play competent defense throughout the entirety of the game. Bless you. Thank you. They can play in good spurts, but it's just not throughout the entirety of the game. There have been stretches where they can play good defense, but there are stretches where they'll give up 10, 15-point runs like it's nothing. And it is kind of indicative of just how this team was constructed. This team is, in no other way that I could describe it, it's a rental team. You know, they were, they brought in a lot of pieces this offseason to try to remedy the situation going into this season after they had a pretty early exit from the playoffs last year. You know, they brought in Rondo. They brought in Russell Westbrook. They brought in Carmelo Anthony. Well, Rondo is about to get traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Westbrook is basically being hated by every Laker fan imaginable. And pretty much everybody wants him traded at this current moment in time. And Carmelo has been streaky this year. So when you look at those factors as far as the defense is concerned and the age go, well, how do you remedy it? What's a solution for this team? They have to slow the pace down. I think the only way that they're going to be able to win games moving forward on a consistent basis is... They have to improve defensively. They ha they cannot be lackadaisical in their defensive effort. So this is a situation where they're going to have to hold teams consistently under 100 points. 
And then on the offensive side of the ball, they can't score, but they've got to just knock down good shots. They've got to knock down good shots on a consistent basis because they've had open shots that they just can't knock down and they have to be more efficient from the field. Now, Russell Westbrook has really kind of been the one focal point for inefficiency as far as the shooting is going. But, I mean, across the board, this team just needs to be more consistent as far as just knocking down good mid-range shots. And then if the three-point shots are there for the taking, knock them down. But I think the biggest remedy for this team is they've got to play better defensively. If they could start there, I think it'll bode well for them moving forward. And then once AD does come back, I know he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. I think that will help them defensively. But, I mean, the current state of the Lakers is that they're just a subpar team. There's no other way to say it. I don't really see improving anytime soon as far as like the next week or two is concerned. But, I mean, this team has got to start to get it. They got to get it together by the All-Star break. So, I figured that'll be a good time to really kind of get a really good status as far as this team is moving forward but Kevin I'm with you 100% if this team were to go into the playoffs right now it'd be a first round exit and it wouldn't even be I I wouldn't think anything different so the Lakers definitely have some issues I really can't fault LeBron because I think LeBron has been playing phenomenal but this team is old they play like it and the results show for themselves so Maybe make some trades. Maybe try to bring in some youth on the team. But, yeah, the Lakers are not in a good position here, my guy. They're just not. It, it, it comes down to player performance. I'm not going to lie to you. Russell Westbrook, for a long time, has been known to be a triple-double machine. Russell Westbrook has been known to be a once-in-a-generational player who can go out there and score, who can carry a team with dog-shit players to the playoffs, who can rebound, who can pass better than anybody that has since Magic Johnson. But he has the issue of turning the ball over. He has the issue of a terrible shot selection. He has a terrible feel for managing a game. For God's sakes, I saw something on House of Highlights where he's bringing the ball down on a fast break. He pulls up and the ball hits the top of the backboard. Like, I saw another play in that same game or in the Houston game the other day where he goes on a fast break doing his Russell Westbrook thing, blowing by everybody still, which is incredible at the age that he is in his 30s. He misses a layup with two hands on the rim. For that, you dunk it. And it's it's things like that where you just look at him and you say, what the fuck are you doing? Next player, Anthony Davis, when he is healthy, he's playing soft as shit. He got bullied by Carl Anthony Towns when they they played Minnesota a, a week and a half ago. And I mean bullied to where Cat was looking like a an AD of two, three years ago, which is crazy. And and AD's defensive presence, although he's averaging a, a, over two blocks the game, he's just he's not that dominating presence that he was when they were in the bubble, when they were playing at that championship caliber level. And it's just weird. Russell is selling. AD is isn't healthy, and he's not doing the dominating part of what he needs to do. The supporting cast, as Kyle stated multiple times, is old. And I think Frank Vogel is a big part of that because you have to see that the players you're putting in and the rotation that you have aren't working. And Kyle mentioned this right before uh, we started recording again. He said, play Malik Monk. It shows when Malik Monk plays, they do very well. And Malik Monk does very well. He's young. He might not be able to shoot and score consistently. But it's a spark that might be doing something for this team. Because you can't keep relying on all of these older 
seasoned players to carry you through, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Are you kidding me? That's not going to fly. It's not going to fly in June. That's not going to fly in May. The surest shit is it going to fly right now. I think that this Lakers team could potentially, like LeBron tends to do uh, at this point in the year, may get turned around, may get flipped inside out. Maybe a big trade will happen. I have no idea, but I don't see LeBron James settling and dealing with this shit in L.A. for the remainder of the season. And if it does end up happening, I think he's going to find a way to get out. See myself frustrating, bro. And I, I think it kind of goes to the idea of with the acquisitions that they had this offseason, I think Rob Palenka went in with the idea of trying to capture lightning in a bottle again with the guys that they brought back. They, you know, when they brought yeah. back Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard. And, you know, I know they brought in some other pieces. They brought in Carmelo. They brought in Westbrook. Uh, they brought in Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn. They brought in a lot of pieces. But it just hasn't worked out. And I think for me, the, the biggest thing that they can improve upon just for the rest of the year is they have to integrate more youth into the lineup. They have to try to get some sort of spark. I think they either go with that. Or they stick with the old lineup that they have, but they have to play at a slower pace. They almost kind of have to play kind of similar to what Cleveland did in LeBron's last year before he went to L.A., where they slowed the pace of the game down against Golden State in the finals. But sometimes it's just not enough. You know, even though they got swept in that series against <clears throat> the Warriors in, in 2018, you know, if they slow the pace of the game down, maybe you have a shot and maybe just kind of save those legs as far as like LeBron goes, as far as Carmelo goes, like Dwight Howard. Some of those older pieces, you know, they can play, you know, 30, 35 minutes, but dude, you'll be feeling it the next day just because that pace is going to get to those older bodies a lot quicker than somebody like Kendrick Nunn, Taylor Horton Tucker, and uh, Malik Monk. I mean, those guys are a lot younger and they can handle the, you know, those bigger minute times better than LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony can. Fucking Kent, Kent Bazemore and all these old-ass people. Yeah, so, you know, it, I, I when I look at the season as a whole, though, I don't really blame – I don't really blame the coaching staff in this one. I think this is kind of more of a situation when I'm looking at Rob Palinka and just the players that he brought in. I think there's just too much – there's just too much old on this team. There's no other way I could say it. It's just there's too much, too much old. There's too much old. Like there's just no other way I could say it. It's, but you kind of understand what I'm saying, though. It's just that this yeah. roster. I think they were trying to recapture some of that energy that they had from the championship season when they won that NBA Finals in the bubble. But it just hasn't worked out this year. So I think they're going to be very busy during the trade deadline, or at least they're going to try to be. Because I think they're going to try to to move Russell. If they could try to get somebody, if they could try to move him, you know, if some team is stupid enough to to trade for him, Benjamin Simmons is going to be a Los Angeles Laker. Like, okay, you got a you got a guy who can't shoot, but he can't play good defense. That would improve their defensive aspect. I would kind of respect that. But Ben hasn't played this season, so what's his status going to be if he were to get traded? I don't really know at this point, but. It's just watching this team hurts, man. It, oh it yeah, because you're because you're because you're so bad. We're like thirteenth, okay? We're twelfth, whatever the hell the Mavs are. So don't get me started on that bullshit. I mean, really, the the difference between the Lakers and the, the Mavs is not that much of a difference. You guys are sixteen and eighteen. I think the Lakers are sitting at like 
Oh god, what's their record? They're, they're sitting at like the seventh or eighth seed right now. Let's just look at their. Record. You guys are seventeenth and nineteenth. Yeah, like we're doing so much better. We're doing so. Much You're better. the one that said that you guys were fucking so bad. I'm sitting here talking about my damn Mavericks, and I'm throwing up in my mouth. Well, I mean, Isaiah Thomas was in for ten days, and now he's with you guys. So, and now he's in protocol. Yeah. Fuck that's go. gonna fucking do. Yeah. But yeah, with the Lakers, I mean we'll kind of see what happens around the trade deadline. We'll see what happens around then, and then we'll see what happens around the all-star break because that'll kind of be a good check on to see where this team stands at that point in the season. And then maybe they can turn it on for the rest of the season after that point. But at this point, I'm kind of skeptical. And hey, man. all LeBron James teams are active on the trade deadline. Okay. So well, that, that, that to me is going to be something of his legacy is that a lot of the teams that he was on, I'll be honest with you, they were rentals. This wasn't a team like outside of his first stint with the, with the Cavaliers, there wasn't a team that he, you know, grew up with. You know, outside of that that first run in Cleveland, everywhere he's gone, they've assembled they've assembled the team around him. Now, you know that happens with superstars, no matter if they stay with one respective team or they bounce around. But it's just wherever he goes, it's like there's like this mad dash to get a bunch of good role players around him, and then just try to make the most out of it. It's kind of a dis. It's kind of a disjointed effort when I kind of think about it because it really doesn't lead to long term success. Because unless LeBron is playing godlike basketball, more likely than not, it's not to get them. It's not enough to get them over the hump. So I mean, nope. it could get them into the finals just because LeBron's that good. It's just, it's just kind of a discombobulated effort, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but. That's the difference between assembling a team like Golden State did with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green and letting those guys kind of grow together as a cohesive unit compared to LeBron bouncing from one team to another like every three or four years and trying to make the most of it with role players. So this is kind of one of those years where they did that formula and it really hasn't worked out to their advantage. So, but I mean, we we said it from the, before the season even started on paper, this is like a God squad back in 2012, 2013, but you know, it's 2021 going into 2022. Most of these guys are at the end of their careers and it's just not working out like it looked on paper, but in reality, it's just not working well. And I'm not really really surprised. I'm not really surprised. Yeah, we didn't expect this. We said that this was going to come to a boil based on Russell's performance or injuries. The, the, the biggest disappointment to me is Anthony Davis. He, it's like he, he turned the switch off. He's a whole different player. I, he, bro, he just can't stay healthy. I know that's kind of been his MO the entire his, his entire career. But for God's sakes, the guy is so brittle. You, you throw a rock at him, he's like he's out for a month. I think he posted a picture today where he got new braids and someone quote tweeted it on Twitter and said, Anthony Davis will be out for the foreseeable future due to braid tightening. God, <laughs> God, God, he, he, God, he runs at certain speed. Oh my God. He pulls a hammy. He's out for a month. 
Dude, it's, just, it's wild. It's just that guy is so brittle. He's just so injury prone. You can't rely on him. I mean, he was great in that finals run a couple of years ago, but he's just not the same. No, nope. and it, and it hasn't been. It's just. Mm-hmm. What can we do? say? What, what can we say? Our guy, or my guy? Our teams are down bad right now. Yeah. I can't believe we're. I can't believe we're the seventh seed. I really can't believe it. This team should literally yeah. be at like the bottom of the barrel, but they're lucky to be in the position that they're they're that they're at right now. So. Time will tell, but it's not looking good right now for the Lakers, and that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, it ain't boding well on this side either. The grass ain't greener over here. But, Kev, I think that's all we got today, my guy. I could, it's good, good to, to be back. back. It's good to be back, bro. That's Same how, wavelength. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, like minds think great alike. So. Hey, I'm just happy to be back. I'm happy that we were able to get some out for you guys right before New Year's dropped. I mean, Kyle and I have been – communicating every day Kyle checked on me every day I was sick so much much appreciated um but you know now that 2022 is upon us with some proper investing and some saving we about to get this microphone God willing in the next couple of weeks you know what I'm saying so we gonna have some good quality we don't got to rely on this shit no more not that these are garbage because Murphy's Law these will end up breaking tomorrow with my luck so you know they have served their purpose. I'm going to get, you know, a whole light and try to say, just change this setup a little bit. My lease is about to end, so I don't want to hang anything more, see if I got to move or whatnot. But if I resign, I'm going to decorate the office a little bit more, hang up some more jerseys and shit. So we're going to turn this around, man. 2022 is going to be huge for us. I, I just hope to God, like, if you do end up re-upping your lease, that they don't, like, raise your rent, like, 20 or 30%, because that's, that's what happened. That's what's going to happen at my place. Cause yeah, it, I mean, I was I was kind of lucky, but I've been talking to some of my neighbors uh, the last couple of weeks or so, where there were some people that rents went up like 20, 30% from last year. I see a lot of moving trucks in and out. So I don't know if that's because they raised rent or because people genuinely needed to leave. I have a weird mixture of people my age and then people my parents' age here. So I don't know. And we have a lot of snowbirds here. So, yeah. you know, it could be people just moving back. So, um, kind of keeping my eye on it, you know. But you got a good crib. You got a good, yeah, good no, crib. Yeah, no, crib is straight, in which you have not been here yet. But, you know, we're I both know. busy with work and shit, so. But, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, man. I'm, re- I'm ready for baseball season for the Yankees to break my heart. <sighs> it's too early to be thinking about that, my guy. I, mean, I, I can't, man. My team suck right now. UNC's fucking trash. The goddamn Gators are losing to UCF. The fucking Mavericks are dog shit. I'm putting all my hopes and dreams on Carson Wentz and the Colts, John, and we all know John, how that's going to go. No, you're putting it on Frank Reich to carry you to the promised land. It ain't going to happen, my man. guy. It's like, it's painful. Like, I am on hard knocks, so, like, you see the week of practice. You see the conversations. Like, it gets you to rally behind whatever team's on hard knocks that year, and then when they suck, you're like, well, that fucking blows. But, like, it being our locker room and like our team is kind of cool. And to see the camaraderie and the excitement that everybody has like on the show and to then see us put it out on the field, it's, it's pretty dope. So it gets me excited. Like, can we make a Super Bowl run? Can we be the Giants of 2007? I think so. Like, can, can, can we crack into the playoffs and beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead? I think so. What do you think know. about the whole hard knocks thing throughout the season? I think it's dope. I really like it. It's a good change of perspective. Tired of preseason bullshit, people on the sideline, all this practice, people resting and shit. Bro, midseason is, is go time. I'm never going to get it with the Patriots. That shit is not happening when, when Bill Belichick is there. It's never going to happen. 
Yeah, no, you're you're better off waiting for your kids to see it. Yeah, but you know, to be honest with you, like, if a team wants to do it, that's on them. You know, you try to make the most of it, but you know, w- with Bill, it's not going to happen. No shot. You're better so, off a Bill's kid with the mullet. Steve, Steve, this guy's Steve. creepy looking. But I mean, he he's kind of rising through their ranks as far as their coaching staff goes. So I wouldn't say he's not their defensive coordinator, but it's like, you know, he's definitely kind of showing his own coaching ability. I guess I don't think it's going to be as good as Bill, but you know, kids see how far the apple. Let's see how far the apple falls. Yeah, I mean, the, kid, the kid's proving himself. I mean, still relatively young, but I mean, you know, when your father's the, the greatest coach of all time in the NFL, I mean. That's not even shoes the, to fill, bro. That's like uh, a. That's like you gotta fill the, the hoodie and the everything. But but I do want to cap this off with just a, a quick, a quick mention of uh, John Madden passing away. Um, that was that was a very big loss, and uh, it was it was a, it was a surprising, uh, passing. But Kev, just kind of just to speak on just the impact that John Madden brought to the game. I mean, he's a legend, man. He's one of the most iconic figures in the NFL both as a coach, as a commentator, as, as, as an advocate for the league, um, Hall of Famer, true in, through it, uh, through in. For th- true, uh, I say through and through. Yeah, through and that's the one I was looking for. I, I was saying through in, throughout. Through and through. Uh, the, the man's knowledge is, was, in, it was incomparable, and it was just amazing. I mean, we were young when he was finishing up in the booth, but – Hearing highlights and hearing things of how he used to call games, you hear that voice with the video game, and it's legendary. It's all, it's like I get goosebumps remembering playing Madden in two thousand and one and two, and like hearing him play call, and and then watching him on TV. Like, good God, he was so impactful for this league that the fact that he passed is almost like holy shit. Like these iconic legends and figures in sports are getting towards that end. They're getting towards that road. And it's like the foundation that they built back in the day is why our league is so good today. And it's just, you know, without John Madden, who knows where the league would be, bro. Well, it's like you said, I mean, he was a great coach back in the seventies when he was coaching those Raider teams, to Super Bowls, And not only that, he was able to effectively transition from that coaching role in his time in the NFL to being just a huge presence as far as broadcasting goes for the NFL in the games that he was commentating. It's just the, the level of expertise that he brought to those broadcasts, especially on the Sunday night uh, broadcasts that I was able to see towards the end of his broadcasting career. I mean, just invaluable information for, you know, first time watchers of football games and just, just the, the level of expertise he brought to the broadcast booth. I don't think anybody outside of maybe like Al Michaels, as far as just commentating skills goes, have been able to really kind of match that level that John Madden brought to the broadcast booth. I mean, the guy was sensational. Just the level of knowledge that he brought to first-time NFL fans or just NFL fans from the beginning of time up until now. I just I think people really appreciated what he was able to bring to the game you know, on the field coaching and then off the field in the broadcast booth. It, his presence will be sorely missed. And it's just, I mean, what a life, though. I mean, the guy devoted his life to football 
from just the coaching that he had with the Raiders and then up to his last broadcast, which was, I believe, Super Bowl 43, which was one of the best Super Bowls that we've seen in recent memory between the Steelers and the Cardinals uh, towards the 2009 season, if I remember correctly. So just an incredible football life. His presence will be sorely missed. And uh, But I have to give a one-time shout-out, a big shout-out to the legend that is John Madden and his presence will be missed. RIP to one of the goats, bro. Yes, sir. But with that said, you guys, I think uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up after that. You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in. I know we kind of took a week and a half break. I know Kevin was kind of going through his whole COVID situation, but glad that he's back. Glad that he's feeling better and uh, getting ready for 2022, man. So we're just going to stay the pace. We're just going to keep, Doing what we've always done, we might make some little improvements here and there, but you know, get ready for 2022. We got a lot of stuff upcoming for you guys, and hopefully, you guys enjoy it. So, with that said, um, Kevin, I'm going to kick it to you. If you got anything else to add before we wrap it up, 2021 has been great in terms of content for you guys. We've seen videos blown up. We've gotten comments back, gotten feedback from colleagues and friends. Um, we've obviously grown in terms of you know supporters and fans. Between, I think we started at 100 and something at the beginning of the year, and now we're at almost 350. So, I mean, again, without you guys, we would not be where we are. We have hit a dip with that week and a half that we took off, and obviously a little bit of a dip with subscriptions and views. But like anything else in life, there's ups and downs. It's about how you push and battle through it. I think with me and my partner here, we're going to be able to combat that and double the numbers that we had this year, God willing. And with the improvements in equipment and content, I think it's going to be a continued effort until we hit the goal. And, and, and that's just for us to be recognized and for us to, you know, do this a little bit more on a regular basis. God willing, one day we get paid for it, man, because talking about sports, um, broadcasting it to you guys, hearing feedback, hearing your opinions, even people that say nothing but negative shit, we welcome it. Nobody in life is perfect. We know we aren't. So again, 2021 was a success. We started a dream and we're finishing this dream. We're going to keep carrying it through, man. So without you guys, again, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, once again, just thank you guys for tuning in, whether you guys were listening to us on the audio platforms or watching us on YouTube. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, we will be back uh, to start the week off next week with another episode. Just be like we always do as far as, you know, our typical NFL recaps go. We'll recap some of the games from week 17. There's going to be a huge slate of games to go over um, on our next episode. So that, that'll definitely be fun. And then we'll probably just, you know, lightly touch on some NBA topics going into next week, but that's pretty much the, uh, the game plan that we have going into our next episode. So definitely stay tuned for that. But once again, just thank you guys for tuning in uh, for the episode and we'll see you guys next week. Welcome to ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, unapologetically fab get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it we're all about changing the narrative leaning into who you are 
and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab, an electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid.